This is Generation Education. Join educator Ruth Baynott Mondays at 11 a.m. as she explores modern parenting, physical, emotional, and social development from pregnancy through adulthood. Mondays at 11 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. And welcome back. You're listening to Ruth Baynott on Generation Education 101.9 High FM. I have with me this morning Myrna Silberman. Myrna has been teaching for more than 30 years and ran the learning support at King David. And she likes to mention that as a student, she struggled to study and worked very hard to succeed. And working so hard gave her the understanding of how the students feel. And so she understands the predicament when it comes to schooling and to difficulties. Good morning, Myrna. Good morning, Ruth, and how are you? I'm good, thank you. Welcome to Generation Education. Myrna, before we even get into anything, you also mentioned that you are a remedial teacher, and I wanted to ask you, remedial, can you just chat to us about that word and what it actually means? Well, from my perspective, it's it's really children who need additional help to get to where they need to be. Right. So I don't like to see them as different, awkward, simply children who maybe need more time, more help to get to where they need to be in terms of coping with skills at school. Because often a parent will hear that word remedial and they go into a flat panic thinking there's something wrong with their child. That child might just need more help, more intervention to get there. But today there is so much help available, and I work with this area every day. It's not something wrong with your child. The way I like to look at it is that child needs more intervention or help in certain areas, and we need to just get them there. As a very quick aside, when my son, my youngest son was in grade one, he needed more help with reading. And so instead of putting him to a small class, I created 365 additional texts that we did day in, day out, seven days a week to get him to read fluently. And by grade three, he was reading Harry Potter. Wow, so it doesn't amazing. matter where you start in life, only where you end. Absolutely. And of course, when we talk about remedial, often people think, oh, my child's needing extra help and they're not coping. But I think in reality, all children at some point need extra help, whether they are remedial, whether they've got concentration problems, ADHD, or whether they've actually got no issues at all. So we're going to be discussing now all about study skills and exam technique. And I want to ask you, when we refer to exam technique, why that terminology? What are we referring to? Okay, so this is a very, very important part of learning because children get tested um, day in, day out, week in, week out. So exam technique is how to read the question, how to extract the most important part of the question, and how must I give it back. Some children, Ruth, naturally get it, but 90% of children can be trained on what's required by a school. And that's very important because it gives hope So a child who's a 50 percenter who wants to get 60 or 70 can get there. They can be trained in the right Mm -hmm. techniques. And with the right techniques, we can train children to wherever they want to get to. 
That's but, very important for parents to know. Right. And I suppose, as you say, it all starts with those right techniques and obviously incorporates the study skills. So let's get into that. Let's chat from the beginning. Talk about the process. <clears throat> okay. So um, the most important thing, uh, when I was at school, uh, firstly, I was overweight. You can see that I'm slim now. But that was because this intense pressure of trying to perform to achieve at a certain level to be good enough. And so that makes me an excellent study skills teacher because I understand the pressure when children come to me and they want certain marks. I know what it feels like firsthand. And I can get them to where they need to be. Let's talk study skills. So when you're saying they come to you firsthand, what is that first step that they need to do in order to learn study skills? Uh, the most important thing is when they're reading material is to be able to understand it, to be able to explain it in their own words, to break it down step by step. It's like when you're eating a sandwich, you don't take the sandwich and eat the whole sandwich. You eat bit by bit. So when children can break it down into small amounts, and I show them how, they feel far more empowered and they feel like they then can do it. And they develop an attitude of, yes, I can, instead of, oh, my God, pressure, pressure, pressure. Mm -hmm. um, so empowering students that they can do it, showing them how to simplify information. Yes, children know they've got to do it, but I work a lot on application. How do you simplify history, biology, science? So I show them using their own school subjects how to do this. And from what age would you say it's important to start learning study skills? From grade four, because they start the learning, um, the learning test from grade four. However, a Ruth, a very, very important part of study skills is comprehension and understanding. So you have to be able to read and understand what you're learning. And one of the side things I do do is I specialize in comprehension and English. And if I pick up a problem, then I, I, I mention it to parents. What I also do is before I start working with a student is I request their exams uh, or their tests if they're younger. And then I study the test in detail and I pick up the areas where they're struggling. And from there, I'm able to very accurately pinpoint what actually do they need to do in order to achieve? Right. And do you find that you need to give different children different types of skills? I mean, I'm assuming they don't all fit into one mold. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, very much so. And in fact, in Israel, what they're doing is sometimes they teach children study skills like on a basketball field, uh, very, very innovative ways, because not every child can sit still. So some children need to walk around when they come here. Other children need to say it out aloud. Uh, for others, it's more of um, learning how to write or putting to pictures. So definitely to to work towards their strengths. I actually remember when my son was in primary school. I don't remember what grade, but I might have actually been grade four. They had someone come in to do study skills with them. And I just remember that he came home with his pens or his pencils, if I'm not mistaken, labeled with different colors. And he was supposed to do different colors for different things. And for him, he just didn't relate to this at all. Is that yes. something, can you explain that something further? So they were probably using, I, I, I've probably seen that technique where they do like dates in one color 
and then headings in another. Remember, nothing, not one size fits all. So I work more with showing children how to understand work. A highlighting, very useful. Sometimes putting information into a picture format, very useful. But no one rule for all children because each child's got to work with their strengths. So my son, who's now 23, he still talks aloud and finds it extremely um, useful because he's very auditory-based. So that works really well for him. Every child is different, and I need to tap into that. Okay, but now when you mention about them being auditory and talking out loud, what then happens in an exam scenario? How do they then translate that into an exam scenario? So to my knowledge, most exams are still in written format unless you have a facilitator reading it to you. My son just uses it for learning purposes, but most of it is still in a written format. So most children still have to be able to read and extract it. Those who battle may have a facilitator or a reader, somebody actually reading the information to them. But that's on a case-by-case basis. It's not for everybody. Otherwise, it would be chaos at schools. Yes. But is that available for those children who really need it? And the other thing I wanted to ask you, mind maps. What's your thought on mind maps? For some children, it's very useful. For other children, it's absolutely chaotic and they don't work well with it. It's not for everybody. What I do is more of a logical sequence, uh, like a flowchart diagram, which um, taps into the basis of mind maps, but not as creative with information all over. So to show them more of a logical way. Of course, if mind maps works for you, Ruth, then obviously they must use it. But for many children, they prefer a more logical approach. Mm. It used to be the in thing, but now we've realized that it doesn't suit every child. And um, many children respond extremely well to, it's more of a flowchart diagram where you actually number information. So that sequencing of information is very, very useful. And yes. they help to remember it when they're writing in an exam. Yes, and I know there's also that other system where they use little cards and they categorize stuff on little cards, and I think it's using keywords, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't believe in anything that's, like, extraordinary or totally different. Keywords very important, but maybe not a keyword, maybe a key phrase, so that it's in a context. Uh, you can't just have an isolated keyword because then you're not going to remember where it comes from. Same with a card. If it works for a child, great, but some children prefer working on paper, Some children prefer working on a whiteboard. So a small whiteboard that they used to use in grade one and two, very, very useful for learning. Uh, It's much quicker than writing on paper. Okay. As I said, so using different skills for different children. How does a child get to actually come to you to get those study skills? Does the teacher refer you? Does a parent phone you direct? Tell us about that. Well, I've, I've been working in this area for about 30 years. So most of the time, parents are phoning me directly, and it's word of mouth. I, I, I do work a lot with certain schools, uh, and there I do have a direct relationship with the schools, like at Crossroads. I get a lot of referrals because I uh, am a remedial teacher as well, and I do do a lot of English. So that comes through from schools, but mainly it comes through from uh, parents directly and word of mouth where I've really helped a child and then another child in the class asked the, the mom for the number. Okay. And would you ever be requested to go into a classroom and assess a child how they're working? 
I haven't really done the assessment in the class, but I do work very closely with psychologists. And I do take in their actual tests and study it. And from that, I get a very, very accurate assessment of how they're performing under pressure. Because study skills and exam technique is not just learning how to study, but how do they perform in a stressful situation or in the actual test or exam. So they might know the work, but when they come into the test, maybe they forget it, maybe they're getting too anxious. I can pick that up from a test paper and give um, the parent very accurate feedback on what's required. Right. I'm sure there is a lot of anxiety around testing and studying and exams. Huge. And what my job is to empower them. I'm very passionate about what I do. And 90% of my job is making children feel confident that they can do it, that they're empowered to do it. They can do well and they can achieve whatever they want to, Ruth. It's not set in stone. So very often a child will come and say, oh, I can never achieve. I'm just a 60 percenter. No, that's where you are today. But nobody knows the potential of where you can get to with the right help. And that's where I come in, pushing Mm -hmm. them to wherever they want to get to. Right. And I mean, for some children, I mean, that 60 percent is for them amazing because they maybe they Absolutely. were, yeah, they Absolutely. were not passing. And for 60, there's nothing wrong with it. It's what each no. child is capable of doing. And, and what each child feels they want to achieve. Okay. So it's very much also dependent on where they want to get to for themselves. How long do you normally sit with a child? Can you put a time frame on it? Is it X amount of sessions? Do they come back again when older? Let's talk through that. Yes. So the study skills course is four weeks where we go through a concentration skills, a memory. I'm just giving you the, 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 the key things, comprehension, planning, goal setting, and then exam techniques. And that's four sessions. And then when they come to me privately, it just depends on um, how much remediation or work needs to be done. They just come once a week for 45 minutes and then depending on, on what we need to achieve. Do you also help them, let's say, they got a certain subject where not so much with actually learning the work, but how to learn the work on a specific subject that they might be battling with? Absolutely. So, uh, Ruth, I've taught every single grade from grade one to matric, and because I ran the learning support at King David, I've not only taught every grade, well, privately, obviously, I've also done uh, most subjects. So I can say to them, in science, you apply the skills like this. But in history, you apply the skills like that. So I have the knowledge to actually show them how to apply to different subjects. Okay, that's interesting. Experience to be able to do that. I actually never thought of that. Yeah. Yes. I know equally amount about history as I do about business studies, English, Afrikaans, uh, because I'm working with this all the time. I'm working mm. with different subjects on different grades every day. And it makes sense, actually, that for different subjects, you would actually need different skills. Where I suppose something like maths, where it's very analytical, compared to language, where it's a very creative. Yes. And, and even in maths, um, the English comprehension is vital because they get a lot of story sums. So it's showing them how to extract the main points of that story sum and then maybe to put it into a picture form, which is also study skills. Very briefly, obviously, like two sweets to put the two and maybe a sweet. I'm, I'm simplifying it. 
uh, but to take out the most important points before they actually start that story sum. Okay. So it's also, uh, it, it deals a lot with comprehension dealing with story sums. Yeah, right. Parent involvement. Now you were talking about the different skills for the different subjects and you actually mentioned, it was lovely how you mentioned about they need to be able to know comprehension and they need to know this skill and that skill. How can parents enhance it? I mean, coming to you, great, but now obviously there needs to be that follow through at home. I think what helps parents enormously is when I show them the child's test and I explain to them in detail where the child is going wrong. So parents really appreciate feedback. In my own practice, I actually spend between seven and eight at night phoning parents every single night and giving them feedback of where their child is going wrong and what needs to be done to remediate it. So they have a very clear idea of what's required instead of this feeling of, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. My child is remedial. Where to go from here? I take them through it step by step and almost hold their hand through this. Right. I'm more referring to more on the practical level. So a child's now come for his study skills lesson, comes home, and now the parent wants to make sure that the child has understood it and is implementing it. What can yeah. the parent do? Are there stuff at home on a practical level like let's say, for example, in the kitchen or when they are tidying up, can they incorporate those skills somehow and how can the parent actually assist the child? Okay, so uh, what, what you're talking about is for very small children, I assume, like reinforcing language and that. Well, I um, suppose any age. I mean, I'm yes. thinking, I remember my son as a teenager, I still had to sit and watch him do his homework because the minute I got up and disappeared and came back, He'd be upside down on the couch or rolling on the floor or swinging on the swing. Yeah, so that's not a bad idea uh, if parents have the time maybe to allocate maybe half an hour or so, maybe, you know, to be doing uh, other things but be sitting next to the child. Uh, What's also very useful is when a child has actually summarized their own work to ask them questions and then later on to teach that child how to ask uh, himself questions. So the parent doesn't end up doing this till the trip. Uh, very important. First for the parent to ask questions, but then to get the child to make their own questions, and then the parent does it. So that you step by step empowering the child to become more independent okay. as they go along. Wow, that's and fantastic. Also, sorry, one other thing. When they get to high school, all high schools give past papers. And I, I work a lot with this. So when they finish the course, to actually take past papers and work through it on their own. This is the greatest way to actually get an idea of what is required and to practice the required technique and the way that they're asking the questions. Right. The other thing I want to chat about is time management. We know that when kids get into high school, it's so much more pressure and they've got so much more on. How do we teach them about time management and getting their studying and all those skills in amongst everything else. So, Ruth, you've brought up an extremely important thing. Time management and planning is one of the most important skills, not only for studying, but obviously for life. And very easy to teach it in theory, very hard to put it into practice, but definitely the most important skill of studying. I'd say that the most important part of it is planning. So, 
planning their day, their week, their month. It's got to be realistic. So if they're coming up to exams, to have an exam timetable, but also to put in free time. So it's no good putting in do two hours a day or three hours. A child is not going to do that. It is not realistic. So for a child to set realistic times for themselves and also to give themselves free time. So I'm going to work for an hour from three to four, and then I'm going to give myself a break from four to half past four. The only thing that I strongly recommend is for children to switch off their cell phone when they're working. Okay. I know sometimes children want to have the phone next to them just to check in case there's a WhatsApp. But then you you go onto the phone to check that WhatsApp, but at the same time, another WhatsApp came through. And you got down the rabbit hole. (laughs) So to switch off the phone for that half an hour or hour that they're actually working. And how much success do we have at getting them to switch those phones off? (laughs) (laughs) That is another story. But it's um, some children actually give the phone to their parents. I'm I'm not um, suggesting something dictatorship. But literally to switch off the phone for an hour and get the work done and then for children to reward themselves. Go for that walk, go onto your phone, but get the work done first. So planning Mm. is very important and setting an actual timetable, especially close to exams. Now, I remember when I was at school, it was about sitting at a desk, having a quiet environment and learning my work. I see the trend very often nowadays with teenagers is to have background music playing or to even have headphones. Very often they'll be sitting on the bed or lying on the floor or studying. What is your thoughts about that? Well, as as we said earlier, one size doesn't fit all. I, I, I personally come from a very disciplined background, so I prefer children to sit at a desk. The temptation when you're lying on a couch or on the floor is to maybe fall asleep. But in terms of background music, Yes, it definitely works. So long as that the music doesn't become the thing that you're listening to and humming. But if you can have your background music and it relaxes you and it works for you, go ahead and do it. Because learning's got to be workable because, you know, children are at school for 12 years. They may then go to university. So it's got to be something that they can live with every day. Mm-hmm. And I like how you mentioned that each child being unique and different is going to have a different type of studying method. I want to just briefly touch on, and I know we did say that children that do need support, they can get that support and apply for it. But what about children that kind of are just on the cusp, that maybe they have those ADHD tendencies, but they're not quite ADHD, or they almost like kind of need that support, but they're not quite at the point where they qualify for support. How do we actually are you help talking about in this? Are, are you talking about in the school system or are you Co- talking about privately? I would say probably more in the school system because, you know, the school system does bunch them all together and they all kind of have to be pegs that fit into a hole. So you do get that child that isn't a pig, that doesn't fit into that specific space. Does this help that child? So the study skills definitely, and especially the exam technique. Exam technique is probably the most powerful thing that any child can learn when they're going through school, is to know what is required in a test or an exam if they're older and how to give it back. 
I wouldn't say I'm qualified to say exactly what support they're giving in schools. I'm sure there's plenty, but there's still a huge demand for help outside school. And that's where I come in. Myrna, this has been absolutely fascinating. It's really wonderful that there is this help and support for children. Is there anything that you want to add before we end off? Yes, for parents who are feeling maybe stressed, uh, intimidated, worried about their child, the child is not achieving, please give me a call. I'm here to help. I have a tremendous amount of experience behind me, and there's a lot we can do. Uh, parents mustn't lose hope. They must understand that they, there's so much out there that we can do, and because I have so much experience, if I can't help, I can always refer them to a person who can. Um, and this is very important when we, uh, when children are growing up to know that we, they can be helped. And today there is so much help available. Wow. And share your number with us. Sure. It's 082-357-4920. Brilliant. And if anyone wants to email, do you work on email as well? Yes. It's Myrna, M-Y-R-N-A at vox, V-O-X, dot C-O dot Z-A. And just to let you know, uh, Ruth, that I am running a study skills course at the moment, grade 7 to grade 9. If uh, there are any parents listening who are still interested, they're welcome to phone, and maybe there will be one or two places to join. And thank you very much for having me. That's fantastic. And I've been chatting with Myrna Silberman all about study skills and exam technique. And remember, as Myrna said, don't panic. There is help out there for your child. You're listening to Ruth Baynard on Generation Education. Don't go anywhere. More coming up after the break.